0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We'll be closing out this chapter, looking at verses 38 through 44. And just as a reminder, Jesus has begun his ministry really with kind of back and forth, going through times of acceptance and being praised by the people who heard him teach. They were amazed. They stood in awe of him. And then also experiencing rejection, being run off by the people in his own hometown in Nazareth. And so now he's returned to Capernaum, and we see him once again going into the synagogue to teach, and while there, he has cast out a demon from a man who was present with him in the synagogue. And so we looked at that last week. We'll pick back up in verse 38, and we'll read. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again we can open your word and we can look to you for guidance, for direction. We know that all of us come with different burdens on our heart, different concerns on our mind, and we need to hear from you. We desire to hear from you, and we know that as we open your word, you speak, that your word is active, and so we pray that we would have eyes to see the truth, that we would have ears to hear it, and hearts that are softened to respond appropriately, that we would be convicted and comforted, and that we would respond in obedience, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. And so in all of this, Father, we ask that you would be glorified, in Christ's name, amen. I'll read it with me, Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, as you consider this passage, we wonder maybe two kinds of questions. One is, why, why does Jesus heal? What is the Purpose for his healing. Why does he heal anyone? But then, on the other side of that, you might ask, why? Why doesn't he heal everyone? Why is there? Why did sickness remain? Anywhere? Well, his healing ministry, as he clarifies at the end of this passage, really served to support his purpose which was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And that was the purpose. That was the reason why he was sent. And so we have to keep that in mind at all times as we work through these miraculous healing, uh, his healing ministry. It's always leading to opportunities for him to proclaim the truth of the gospel, to tell them about himself, to tell them that the Messiah has come that the kingdom of God is among them. And so healing oftentimes is associated with his proclamation. In fact, I would say it's always associated with that. Even as you look at the redemptive history in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, miracles happened around revelation. They happened in seasons when God wanted to reveal something about himself, something about his character, his attributes to the people of God. And so he works a miracle. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. And, and so the question we would have anytime we're looking at a, really a passage of Scripture, especially here in Luke, is how does this passage reveal the good news of the kingdom of God? It might sound like a simple question, but it's oftentimes forgotten. We think about just the episode. We think about what we are supposed to do. And we skip the section about how this proclaims the gospel to us. How is it revealing something about our Savior that we can then rejoice and worship him because of that truth? And so we'll look at this beginning in verses 38 and 39. We see something about his character. We see his compassion. And we'll begin with looking at his personal compassion. That Jesus' compassion is personal. Verses 38 and 39, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So while Jesus and the disciples are at the synagogue, Simon's mother-in-law is at home, tossing and turning, suffering from this high fever. Many of you have experienced a fever. You know what it feels like to, to be in that state. We were—I was just joking with my daughters about this earlier today. The I this feeling where you're you're shivering and you need a blanket, and then you get the blanket, and all of a sudden you're sweating, and it feels like the blanket's on fire. Right? That's that's what it's like to have a a high fever. Your just your body is is kind of going berserk. You're going chaotic there, and and so you can imagine being walking into the home and seeing the the one who who had maybe even pre- prepared a meal for them was planning on serving them and now she's she's not able to get up. And so they go to Jesus and they ask him to heal her. And not only does he heal her, but he restores her energy so that she's eager to serve them. And if you've ever come out of being sick, you're you're about you're You're feeling much better. Really, the thing you want to do is is rest more, right, is is sleep. You you don't have the energy. And and it would seem that Jesus' healing was was so powerful that it restores her strength fully so that she would be eager to serve. Now, as a side note, Peter's marriage is obvious from this passage, right? Now, Simon's mother-in-law, this is Simon Peter, his mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And that creates a problem for Roman Catholics who would want to say that, that Peter is the first pope. Because if you know anything about the pope, the pope is supposed to be unmarried, supposed to be celibate. And yet, Scripture tells us that Peter was married. And so, again, this is a side note. It's not the intent of Luke in telling this. But it is something that's interesting that, that creates a bit of a, a challenge for them, a problem. Um, the way they answer it is just simply that it's, it, they go outside of Scripture to say that, that Peter didn't become the Pope until his wife had died. If that solves the problem for you, then, um, then I've got a couple other reasons and arguments to, to challenge you. But we won't go there any further. The text's real value is showing Christ's compassion, right? We see that John Calvin says, Christ gave to his disciples a private and familiar illustration of his grace. He gave to them a private and familiar illustration of his grace. So not only do we see the general compassion upon the crowds of the people who begin bringing their sick to him, but before Luke goes there, he highlights this particular interest, uh, this particular healing. It's not anything really significant in light of some of the other healings that are taking place, some of the exorcisms that happen. So what's what's so significant about healing a fever? Simon's mother Simon's mother in law. The significance is the personal nature of it. It shows, you know, and it's easy to to kind of just think, well, there's so many Christians, there's so many people that that Christ has touched and 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 restored their lives and, and brought reconciliation into their home and brought redemption. And, and we just almost forget that he's also done something very personal for us, right? It's, we are significant as well. There's, there's an individual component, a personal component to Christ's compassion that we should never lose sight of. Right? It's not to say that we're something so special and significant but it's to highlight the fact that Christ has, has done a work in us personally. Right, we don't just think about all of the, the healings that have taken place out there. We think about what he's done in our lives. I think that's something that we should be mindful of when we come to him, right, because it does fill us with gratitude, which we should have when we open his word. And sometimes we come maybe frustrated with our circumstances, Maybe we are going through a time of sickness and we're tired of being sick. When is, when is something going to happen? When am I going to be healed? Right? We really have two options to look at our, our sickness. We can look at it as yeah, we've been abandoned by the Lord. We've been forsaken, which we know is contrary to his promises and his word. Or We can see it as an opportunity once again to cry out to him. Once again, an opportunity to cling to him in our trial in the midst of that challenge and see it as a grace, a mercy. Not that the sickness itself is great, but what it's producing in us, that it's bringing us hope and perseverance. And so Christ, the other thing to see here is that Christ's healing touch always produces such tremendous gratitude that the inevitable result is one of service. Right? when Christ is, has touched us that there is, there is no proper response but one of gratitude. And that's what we see here in Simon's mother-in-law. Right? She jumps up to serve them. So it's not only personal, but there's also a physical component to Christ's compassion. Right? And you see that in the next section here, verses 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, so they're still there at Simon's home. The sun has, is begun, beginning to set, and all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. So somehow the word got out that a healing took place. Maybe from the synagogue, maybe as they left the synagogue and said, hey, that someone was, um, was just like a demon was cast out of a person. And, and we know that he went back to Simon, Simon's home. And so because of that healing, now everyone in town, anyone who's sick, anyone who's demon-possessed begins to come and gather in. And it says that he heals those who, had, who were sick with various diseases that were brought to him. He laid his hands on every one of them. Again, you see that personal characteristic. He didn't have to lay his hands on them. He didn't have to touch each one of them individually, but he does. Lays his hands on each one of them and healed them. And then we see once again this, um, the action of, of demons or the words of demons. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So Jesus's authority and his power extends beyond the spiritual realms into the physical realms. It's not just things that he's doing internally in people. Right? Those aren't the only miracles he's accomplishing. He's doing physical works that can, be, that can be seen by the people, by the crowds. He heals fevers just as easily as he's exercising demons. And once again, we see the demons attempting to cast doubt upon Jesus by associating themselves with him, declaring who he is. One, in in one way, trying to reveal something about Christ to crowds that before he's ready for that to be revealed. That's one challenge. But also, as Calvin points out, it's, it's a way of associating themselves with him in the crowd's mind so that they would even say, oh, he's only able to do this work because he's the prince of demons, right? And so if they can associate themselves with him in that way, then the crowd would turn on Jesus. And of course, Jesus doesn't fall for any schemes of the enemy. He clearly separates himself from them. He silences them and casts them out. And this is, once again, an example of his compassion, that Jesus alone can bring true healing, And we mustn't limit this in our imagination just to the physical realm. But it can begin there, right? That that Jesus does bring genuine physical healing. But his healing goes beyond that. His ministry ultimately is a proclamation of victory over all evils. And so it's a proclamation of victory over our trials with sin. Sin our challenges with division and discord and conflict in our home, in our families, in our workplace. We can look to Jesus for the true healing that he offers. The healing ministry of Jesus reveals the compassion of a loving God who delights to make his children whole. And so that involves our physical being, that involves our emotional being, that involves our minds, Intellectually, he's teaching us, he's training us, he's moving us with his compassion, and he's drawing us closer and closer to himself. And it's a comfort to know that we have a Savior. He uses his authority and his power to bring healing. All right? Is there, there's no mention here about the quality of their faith. It's not like all of those who believed in him came with their sickness It's anyone who had sickness heard about this healer and brought them, and he shows compassion upon them. It's not about how much they offered at the synagogue earlier, right? It just goes straight to these individuals coming to him for healing, and they were physically able to experience the grace of Christ. But then lastly, we see his compassion doesn't end there. It's also verbal, and in fact, that's the one that he highlights the most, That his compassion is personal, it's physical, but primarily it's verbal. It's good news. That might sound shocking to you, but that's what this chapter concludes with. Verse 42 through 44. And when it was day, so the next day he's departing. He's been healing all night, healing everyone who's been brought to him. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, right? They're clinging to him. They don't, they don't want him to go anywhere. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So after such a miraculous night of healing, no one wants Jesus to go. Jesus leaves to this isolated place where he might recover from what would surely have been a draining night, exhausting night for him. So he goes to an isolated place, not only to recover, but also to prepare for this next phase where he'll go to a new place and begin to preach there in another synagogue. And what's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the first time well that phrase appears in Luke. We'll see it many more times. But he's preaching good news about the rain of Jesus Christ, that that was why he was sent. He was sent to proclaim his kingdom, his reign. And so a very simple application of this is to recognize that cultural transformation requires preaching. It requires proclamation. J.C. Ryle says this, an expression like this ought to silence forever the foolish remarks that are sometimes made against preaching. Let us beware of despising preaching. In every age, the church, or in every age of the church, it has been God's principal instrument for the awakening of sinners and the edifying of saints. It's the principal instrument for the awakening of sinners and the edifying of saints. And so preaching will always be central, at least, Lord willing. We will always keep. The pulpit and preaching central in the ministry of the church because it is the means that Christ equips his people and so the compassion of a loving God who delights to make us whole involves gospel proclamation All right we need to recognize it's superior it is a superior um, means of compassion right, we need to at times isolate ourselves as Christ did, to reflect upon that good news, to prepare to proclaim it ourselves, to preach it to ourselves. These are this is the climax of this passage. So Jesus's compassion is personal, it's physical, and it's verbal. And in fact, Acts chapter 10 gives us a summary of this whole section, this whole phase of Christ's ministry. So if you want a a divine commentary on this passage. You could look at Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 42. We read this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now notice that he's, he's reflecting, Peter himself is reflecting upon the ministry that he witnessed um, at this time in Jesus' life, and it's connected there with Jesus' reign, which will culminate in his judgment, a future judgment that is coming. Right? So the kingdom of God that Christ brought wherever he went is continuing. Right? Jesus is seated on the throne even now from the heavenlies. He is reigning, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And Kent Hughes says, you cannot enjoy a kingdom unless you are submitted to the king. And so P- Christ brought the kingdom of God wherever he went. The joy and healing that the inhabitants of Capernaum experienced was really a taste of the new heavens and the new earth that awaits all of us. Right? Where there will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death, no more evil. And so every disease and infirmity will be healed. All evil will be destroyed. And that's why we pray, your kingdom come. All right, and whenever Jesus answers that prayer with redemption and with healing, the response is one of faith and service. And so let us thank him for doing that work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from